Good afternoon. If you would like a head start on the lesson, uh, you could be turning to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. It's not one that's too hard to find, but sometimes it helps to go ahead and turn there if you follow along in your Bible. Leviticus chapter 16. It is good to see you again and to be here together. I uh, appreciate so much those who have led our worship all day today, um, especially Don leading our singing. Um, I often feel like after Robert either leads us in the Lord's Supper thoughts or prays for us, and I don't need to say anything else. So love, love Robert dearly and his kind words and appreciative of, of uh, what he said there and leading us in our thoughts and prayer. And just thankful for your attendance and, and kind words about the lesson today. Uh, as I mentioned to Robert, we were talking for a moment up here at the front. Um, I've told you that, that Charles was kind of one who had suggested the idea of trying to link the lessons together more, but that, that has been encouraging for me as well. I hope it's been for you. Uh, it does allow us to maybe go a little bit deeper. Uh, we are looking this afternoon. One thing that's uh, influenced the last couple of Sundays has been the one-word study that we would look at commonly anyways, uh, the idea of repentance a couple of weeks ago. Uh, repent was our one word for the month of November, and then we talked about the hardest part that morning. And then coming up in December was going to be uh, the idea of confession or confess. And I thought, well, it'd be helpful to think about that as well. Uh, I do believe, is it still next Sunday, Charles? Next Sunday afternoon, we'll have a guest speaker, uh, Brother Joey Farrell, who works with the Gospel of Christ program, has been asking about trying to come and report on the work and talk to the congregation. I think it may have been last year or so, maybe it's been a little more than a year now, the elders here decided to support that program, uh, one of the television and internet programs. Uh, and so uh, Brother Joey's been wanting to come and report on that, and so he'll be with us next Sunday afternoon for sure. And so as I was thinking about this lesson, I thought, well, it'd be a good Sunday just to work these two things in together, and we will talk for just a moment about the word study, the words that are used. Uh, sometimes that's very interesting to you. Sometimes you may can kind of take it or leave it. Sometimes it provides us a little more insight into what we're talking about, and I think that's the case this afternoon as we think in particular about the Greek word in just a moment. Uh, if you have your bulletin in front of you, though, and you're filling in along, going along with the outline, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that's used for confess, I'll spell it for you first, is Y-A-D-A-H. Y-A-D-A-H. It kind of sounds like uh, yada, but I think it's more like yada, uh, which is the word for confess. It's used over a hundred times in the Old Testament. It's used in a variety of ways, really, uh, but maybe the most way, the, the most of the uses could be summed up with the word really acknowledge as opposed to maybe confess. But in the idea of this yada would be confess. It's used in the sense of acknowledging God, so praise, acknowledging what God has done, which would be like Thanksgiving. That's what we have done recently here in our country. But then thirdly, acknowledging sin. That's the idea of confession when it's really used as we think about the Old Testament, acknowledging our sin. Now, when we come to the New Testament, the Greek word that's used is spelled, the, it breaks into two parts, but homo, H-O-M-O, -O, you're familiar uh, with that prefix, homo, H-O-M-O, and then the last part is L-O-G-E-O, L-O-G-E-O. By the way, it's been said to me before, it's really pronounced homologeo. And the idea is those two words, you know that homo means same, but the legeo, or as we think about logos, Jesus is the word, the logos, you kind of see that used there. It's the idea of speak. So if we really just put it together, it would be same speak. It literally means to speak the same thing. Now let me go a little bit further and say it's really the idea of verbalizing the fact 
that you are in agreement with someone or that you are in an, in an agreement with an idea. It's used in the sense of agreeing to do a certain thing, a promise. We have the same speak. Agreeing that Jesus is the Son of God, confession, or agreeing with God's greatness, praise. And maybe what we're talking about with confession is agreeing about our sinfulness. That's the confession. So same speak. Those are two of the primary uses when we think about those words that are used. Now, let's talk about some of the passages. I ask you to turn to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse number 21. This would be the Old Testament word, this yada, Leviticus 16, 21. If you turn there, you may notice that the whole chapter is about the Day of Atonement. Do you remember the Day of Atonement or at least about how it's been discussed when it comes to the Old Testament? You may know it, or actually I guess you may see it on your calendar it's commonly called Yom Kippur in our calendar, on maybe in a calendar you have at home. This was the day that the high priest would cast lots over two goats. One goat would be offered as a sin offering, and the other goat would become what we call the scapegoat, right? That would be the scapegoat. After sacrificing the first goat, the high priest, and here in verse number 21, would lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, and if you have your Bible open there, and yada, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, and all of their transgressions, and all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat, and send it away into the wilderness. So thus, when we think about confession, isn't it interesting here in Leviticus 16, not all confession is individual. Right? Not all confession is done on an individual basis. Sometimes confession is made on behalf of the whole people. Now, it's not the case usually when, when one of our men stands here and prays that he would pray that the whole congregation has done something wrong, maybe, right? That we've done something together as a group that's wrong. But sometimes the speakers will stand here and they'll say, forgive us our sins. It's a bit of a confession. Now, it's kind of like back to repentance a few weeks ago. I would encourage you that when we repent, often it needs to be of something, you know. We mentioned that sometimes when someone comes to the front and they come during the invitation, they will say they repent, but they may not actually mention any specific thing. And it's the same thing with confession. It's real easy to say in a sense, well, forgive me of my sins. It's really hard when we know, and we, we know what we've done wrong recently, maybe in the last week or whatever it might be, and we need to ask for conf uh, confession or confess and ask forgiveness of that particular thing. But here on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would make this confession, yada, uh, over the scapegoat or over the goat, and then would talk about sin, uh, the sins of the people. And so that's one of the first places that it's used. The second passage from the Old Testament is Ezra chapter 10. It's going to be the book of Ezra, but Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 1 to begin. Ezra chapter 10. I'll turn there as well. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 1 would be another example of someone making yada or confession for the whole people rather than confessing an individual sin. In the context here in the book of Ezra, Ezra is heartbroken. He's heartbroken over the sin of the people who have intermarried with 
the Gentile people. I hope the young people are listening to this part because we'll get to this here in just a few weeks with our Bible Bowl study. But Ezra is heartbroken over the sin of the people who have intermarried with the Gentile people. Ezra falls on his knees. He spreads out his hands and begins his prayer even all the way back in chapter 9. If you opened up chapter 9 in verse number 6, he says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. That's what real confession sounds like. I told you a moment ago, sometimes we'll, we'll go before the boss, or the child will go before the parent, and it'll be kind of the general, well, I'm sorry, or, you know, I just need forgiveness. And even sometimes, again, as we repent or confess to God, we'll just leave it very open. But Ezra here is going to be very specific. He's not only going to be very specific, he's going to be very humble. He's going to be very emotional. That's what confession sounds like. And Ezra does a great job here of sort of, you know, again, showing us that. Chapter 10 and verse 1 is where it says, While Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God. And that's the moment here uh, towards the end of the book of Ezra or at the end of the book of Ezra. Uh, where he's going through this time here and talking about the sins of the people. All right, let's talk about the Greek for just a moment. Go to the New Testament, James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse 16. In the New Testament, we are told not only to confess our sins to God, but notice here something else we're very bad at sometimes. We're told to confess our sins to one another. James in James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, I think sometimes we do a probably a pretty poor job in the church of wanting to put on a happy and proper face and not show any weakness. So it's very hard for us to follow through with this. James is very direct. This is something we should be doing. And yet very often as a group, we kind of look around and say, well, nobody else is doing it. I don't really want to do it either. I don't want to open myself up to looking like I struggle, and I want to put on this face of that I'm doing what's right. And then we always fall short. We miss the mark when it comes to this. Nobody's suggesting that one person, the preacher or the elders or anybody, is above everyone else and should be the one. They're the ones who can forgive. It's not like that. But we are as we all open up and show ourselves to be human, which we are, then we're able to pray for one another and encourage one another. Again, if we confess our sins but continue to live in sin, then that our confession is empty and hollow. Confessing our sins to one another is being in agreement with the statement, I am wrong and I need to change. I want to be held accountable. Again, what do we usually do? We usually want to say, oh, I confess my sins and I'm sorry but I really don't want anybody to come behind me and make sure I do what's right. We don't want to be held accountable to the change. We just want to be able to say, well, I confessed or I repented or whatever uh, it might be to go along with that. So if you have your notes there in the bulletin, the next line then, what we notice, what we see is that true confession, and this is what we said a few weeks ago with true repentance, but true confession must be backed up with action. True confession must be backed up with action now while confession implies a verbal acknowledgement right the yada a verbal acknowledgement 
or as we said a moment ago, the homologeo, the verbalizing agreement to speak the same thing. While those are true, to say it, it also implies action. Imagine if a person named Bill will just say, imagine Bill saying, we need to do something about this problem, whatever it might be. Fred speaks up and says, I agree. Then Bill, the first person who said there was a problem, has every reason to expect Fred to actually do something about the problem. And if Fred refuses to do something about the problem, he is not actually in agreement, though he confessed agreement. He said, oh, I agree, but he didn't actually change and do something. Think of, think of it a little further. The implications of this are very huge, actually. They're very large. If we confess God's omnipotence and praise, but we live in a constant state of fear and timidity, then we, we are denying our confession. We're denying our confession and we're proving we are not really in agreement with the truth that God can take care of us. I love many of the songs that we sing. And how often do we sing them here and we use our mouth and we confess, speak the same thing in a sense, but then we go out and live a completely different way. If we confess the lordship of Jesus Christ, but we live in rebellion to him, we prove that we are not in agreement with the truth that all authority begins, belongs to Christ. And, and if we confess our own sinfulness, but we continue in sin, we prove that we are not in agreement with the truth and that our behavior, we, we excuse me, we prove we are not in agreement with the truth that our behavior is wrong and needs to be changed. That's what we say. We say we're sinful. We say we need to change, but our actions prove otherwise. Think about what else James says. James says in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. May I suggest to you that we can think about the lesson this way, that confession without action is dead as well. And I think that's part of what we're talking about here. Let me share with you just a couple of quotes and illustrations that's used in the material here for this study. One quote comes from C.S. Lewis, actually, a book that he wrote called God in the Dock. I've never read that, but someone shared a quote about confession, and it goes like this. Does Christianity encourage morbid introspection? Let me say that part again. Does Christianity encourage morbid introspection? The alternative is actually much more morbid. Those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. It is healthier to think of one's own. It is the reverse of morbid. It is not even, in the long run, very gloomy. A serious attempt to repent and to really know one's own sin in the long run is, in the long run, a lightening and relieving process. Of course, there is bound to be a first dismay and often terror and later great pain, yet that is much less in the long run than the anguish of a mass of unrepented and unexamined sins lurking in the background of our minds. C.S. Lewis then goes on to say, it is the difference between the pain of a tooth about which you should go to the dentist and the simple straightforward pain which you know is getting less and less every moment when you have the tooth out. And most of us can agree that we feel that way often about our physical problems, don't we? Well, if I don't, 
acknowledge it or I don't go, then I can just keep kind of dealing with it. When in reality, sometimes, yes, it may be painful in the surgery or whatever it might be, but then things are better once it's done. Think about it with confession. Whether it's something that's just lying in our lives. Somebody says, well, if you always talk about having to talk, talk about your own sins, that's morbid introspection. But on the contrary, it's not good when we don't think about ourselves and we're always pointing at everybody else, right? Doesn't Jesus speak about that as well with the beam and the speck? When we're worried about everybody else, then we're not taking care of our own. There's one illustration that's shared about Johnny. Now, I was thinking, I say Johnny a lot. Now that we've got a Johnny up here, I don't think I can use the name Johnny anymore in, in my illustrations. But it says it here in the notes, so I'll do it today. Uh, Johnny gets into some blue paint. And we'll let Leah tell if he's ever gotten in any trouble before. But Johnny gets into some blue paint. His hands are completely stained. He knows if his mother sees his hands, he will be in serious trouble. So he hides them behind his back when he hears her coming around the corner. As soon as she enters the room, she sees Johnny and an open can of blue paint behind him. She says, show me your hands, Johnny, knowing already, of course, she knows what has happened. So Johnny is then faced with a dilemma. Does he hide his hands or show them to his mother? Finally, he decides to show her his hands. He holds his blue hands up and hangs his head low. Now, think about what we're saying here. Though his mother already knew the truth, he has done well by confessing to his mother. Though Johnny fears that revealing his wrongdoing will put distance between him and his mother, the confession actually draws them together, right? It is so difficult sometimes, even though we know God is already aware of what we have done, it is so difficult sometimes in that situation to confess our sins to him. It is hard for us to hold what we might say our sin-stained hands out for inspection with our heads hung low and say, as David would say in the 51st Psalm, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But it is only when we do this that we are drawn closer to the Lord. We think backwards about a lot of things a lot of times, and I think this was one. In my studying of this, that illustration really struck me to think about this idea that we don't we sometimes put off the pain because we think it will be better but in the end all it does is make things harder when we actually do when the truth does come out and it's absolutely true that sometimes when we get that out of the way then we're able to be closer and in the first place of course ultimately closer to God all right I'd like to kind of conclude with two thoughts for you and we're going to look at several verses Here's the thing about confession, and this is really where I wanted to kind of go today as I thought about confession and the good confession. You may hear the preacher sometimes say, we need to confess, and you may see, as we've used on the screen before, the plan of salvation, that screen that I've had up there almost every sermon about confession, but we use it in two different senses or ways, two different types, and we don't mean to misspeak sometimes or to get them confused, but I'm afraid sometimes we do. And what we sometimes do is we assume everybody else knows what we're talking about. And there may be some people sometimes in the room who are new or visitors or haven't thought about it. And it would behoove us to think for just a few moments that we need to realize the difference. So, you know, we don't have to be bothered or upset by it. But there's really two types of confession when we think about our confession to God. The first one that we're going to notice is one we've already talked about today. If you have your bulletin, it's the plan of salvation, and it is the confession of Christ. 
the confession of Christ. I'm going to give you a few verses, some from this morning already. First of all, Matthew 16, 16, that we talked about this morning in Peter's good confession. And then, excuse me, Acts 8, 37. Acts 8, 37. Carl and I were talking after services this morning for just a moment, and I, I know in the lesson I didn't necessarily intend to say it this way, but I, I think I used my arms, you know, my hands, and I pointed out, I talked about the idea that, you know, the rock, Peter, and this rock, I think I might have done, you know, the confession, and Carl said he's always thought about it with the idea that Jesus might have pointed not so much about this when we talked about the second and third uh, usage of the, of the noun, but it, this pointed at himself. I thought that's a pretty good way to think about it. I think I might have heard that once before, but he brought it to my mind again. And so that's Matthew 16, 16, right? Jesus says, upon this rock, myself, or this good confession of my name, being the Son of God. We talked, of course, about Acts 8, 37 with the Ethiopian nobleman. Let me also mention as well, my wife pointed out uh, she was worried I was messing up and making a huge mistake. If you have an English Standard Version, Acts 8, 37 may be missing from the English Standard Version. Now, we talked about this over the last few Wednesday nights, you know, several months ago now. We talked about how we got the Bible and versions of the Bible and some of the differences. There are some places that leave out Mark 16. Um, there are other places, other versions that may have something different. Now, the Bible that she's using, the English Standard that she has, um, does have a notation that some Bibles don't have that in there. Um, but she said she was very worried that I was going to get fired today for misspeaking, and she was wondering where I was going. Um, but yes, in Acts chapter 8, uh, in the English Standard Version, it makes mention, interesting enough, that he says, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? But it leaves out verse 37 with that confession, that statement there. And I know there are lots of reasons uh, why that might be when they were putting together the English Standard Version, but just kind of want to mention that as well. All right, let's mention two more here. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. I think we did turn there as well this morning. But Romans 10, 9 and 10, where Paul says and emphasizes this idea of confession. I think this is commonly what we do put on the screen or have had on the screen. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So when we talk about the plan of salvation, we're talking about the confession of Christ. Peter did it. Jesus acknowledged in that illustration of a building. Here's the foundation. Here's going to be the church upon that. The Ethiopian nobleman did it there. Paul talks about it in Romans 10. The one other passage that we sometimes miss mention is Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. That's where Jesus says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Have you ever had one of those situations where maybe you were with your friends and you decided you were either going to tell the truth about something or maybe you were going to lie about something or you kind of made up a plan of how you were going to report something that happened and you get before the teacher or the parent and the friend speaks up first and kind of goes back on what you guys had agreed to say. You say, wait a minute, you know, that's not what we said we were going to do. Well, based upon the action that was done, that was, you know, kind of what happened. This is what Jesus is saying here. 
when, when it's all said and done, we have lived our lives, that's been our confession, so to speak. And Jesus says, if you're willing to confess me, I would say with your lips, certainly, but also with your life, that I'm going to stand before God, the, the boss, I don't mean to be irreverent or bring God down, but I'm going to stand before the authority and say, yes, this is someone who has confessed me, and I would like to confess him to you, Father, at this point. Or, of course, the opposite, certainly, with the denial. This person has denied me. They may have done it with their lips. They've also done it with their life. And I do not know them. I do not know this person, in a sense. So the first way, when you hear the preacher sometimes say, you need to confess, hear, believe, repent, confess, we're not saying confess sins. We're saying confess Christ. And that's kind of an important distinction. Because the second way in which we commonly mention it is the second law of pardon, which is the confession of sin. Now, when we say hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, there is sort of the confession of sin. That really kind of comes about with repentance. I acknowledge that I've been doing wrong or going one way, and as we've said, I turn around, I go the other way, I change my mind, I change my life. I do kind of confess those before God in my repentance. But when we say hear, believe, repent, confess, we're talking about confessing Christ. Turning your Bible to Acts chapter 8, it's really interesting to me. You know that the verses and divisions, the verses and chapters are made up by man, right? We understand that. But I do find it kind of interesting that the way it ended up being breaking, broken down, in Acts chapter 8, we find the good confession. And in Acts chapter 8, the, the confession of Christ. And in Acts chapter 8, we find the second confession, the second law of pardon, which is confession of sin. Do you remember that beginning in verse number 9 of Acts chapter 8, we meet who we call Simon the Sorcerer. Simon is here in Samaria with all the people, and Philip comes, and he's been preaching to the people. And down in verse number 12, many people are hearing the name of Jesus, and both men and women are being baptized. Verse 13, then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when we talk about the second law of pardon, beginning in verse number 14, what happens is then this Simon the sorcerer has sin in his life. He has been someone who has been going around at one point kind of acting as a sorcerer, maybe tricking the people, if you will, in a sense. But he's been baptized. We know that from verse 13. But in verse 18, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, verse 20, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, and a song that we commonly sing, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. God's second law of pardon, the second law of pardon in the confession of sin, is found in Acts chapter 8, and especially verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, the, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Here we see that a person who has been baptized, who has been added to the church, who is a Christian, a follower of Christ, then does not need to be baptized when they mess up, as Simon the sorcerer did, but they can repent and pray. 
as connection with that, we usually add in then the confession part of this. Repentance would be sort of this way of confessing, acknowledging the sin. And that's what Simon is told he needs to do here. He's not, as we say, an alien sinner, someone who's never been baptized. He has been baptized, and so now he needs to confess the sin. I know that sometimes as I talk about confession, I may mix those up or inadvertently kind of maybe mislead someone with what I say. And so I thought, as I thought about confession, I thought that'd be a good way for us to not only end this lesson and our time today in both lessons, but just also a good reminder for us that when we confess as a part of the plan of salvation, we confess Christ. Once we are a Christian and we mess up, we need to confess to God, but we do that by means of confessing our sin, acknowledging to God that we are wrong, that we have done wrong, and that we need, to for, we need forgiveness. We repent and pray and then we're able to walk in the light, as John talks about in 1 John 1 there, which is another passage that kind of goes along with that. I hope that it's been encouraging for you both lessons today to think about confession. I hope that you'll take the challenge to remember this, not only in the coming days and weeks, but certainly throughout your life, that as a Christian, you have a responsibility to not only confess to God when things are wrong, also to back that up with action, and then as we saw from the words of James, even to confess to one another from time to time as we need help. It's with that in mind that we close this lesson and we sing a song of encouragement to extend heaven's invitation. As we've already said, maybe you need to confess Christ as part of obeying the plan of salvation. Maybe you need to confess your sin. You can come forward and make that known in a way so that we can pray with you and for you and encourage you. But we're thankful for that opportunity to confess. And if we can be of assistance to you, you can make it known now as we stand together and as we sing.